ಅಖಂಡಂ ಸಚ್ಚಿದಂದಂ ಅವಾಂಗಮನಸುಗೋಚರಂ ಆತ್ಮಖಿಲಾಧಾರಂ ಆಶ್ರಯೀಷ್ಟಸಿದ್ಧೈ ಐ ಟೇಕ್ ರೆಫ್ಯೂಜ್ ಆಸ್ ದ ಸೆಲ್ಫ್ ದ ಇಂಡಿವಿಜಿಬಲ್ ದ ಎಕ್ಸಿಸ್ಟೆನ್ಸ್ ಕಾನ್ಶಿಯಸ್ನೆಸ್ ಬ್ಲಿಸ್ ಆಬ್ಸೊಲ್ಯೂಟ್ ಬಿಯಾಂಡ್ ದ ರೀಚ್ ಆಫ್ ವರ್ಡ್ಸ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ಥಾಟ್ ಆ್ಯಂಡ್ ದ ಸಬ್ಸ್ಟ್ರೇಟಮ್ ಆಫ್ ಆಲ್ ಫಾರ್ ದಿ ಅಟೈನ್ಮೆಂಟ್ ಆಫ್ ಮೈ ಚೆರಿಷ್ಡ್ ಡಿಸೈರ್ now we have reached a natural high point a kind of climax in our study that is the study of the the analysis of the mahavakya the great sentence that thou art we were on uh, text number 169 which concludes the study of the the analysis of the great um, the profound statement the great sentence that thou art i have said earlier that all of advaita vedanta can be summarized by these great you know quote unquote great sent- sentences and these great sentences they all mean the same thing that the identity of the individual and the cosmic the jiva and brahman or more directly they mean that you are this infinite existence consciousness bliss so this is the the central teaching of advaita vedanta and the way we studied it was we were given the sentence tattvam asi that thou art and um, uh, this is from the chandogya upanishad where the father is teaching the son and through several examples and uh, arguments that you are that ultimate reality to understand this sentence we had to go through three stages a process with three steps or stages and these stages are actually relationships um three kinds of sambandha or relationships what are these relationships one relationship is uh, the samana adhikaranyam between the words themselves that thou art so that and thou between the, these two words what is the relationship samana adhikaranyam um so w- what's the issue here when you have a sentence a sentence has many words and uh, Uh, those many words will re- usually refer to many objects and if the many objects are referred to by a sentence then you are not talking about non duality there if you want to establish a non dual reality uh, an indivisible reality in sanskrit akhandartha indivisible reality then even though there are many different words in a sentence you have to show that they all refer to the same reality so the first step was to prove that that and thou are referring to the same reality Uh, that does not ref- refer to a separate god and thou does not refer to a separate individual they are in reality the same uh, one indivisible reality that was samana vikaranyam once you have done that 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 and thou refer to the same reality then immediately the question comes up how are they related if that and thou are the same reality how are they related what is the mutual relationship between um, that which is the um, creator preserver and destroyer of the universe the god of the universe and thou you the individual what exactly how are they related are they different um, we have said that they cannot be different are they parts of each other or what so that's why we go to the second stage uh, of our processing which is called visheshana visheshya bhava the adjectival relationship uh, what is this relationship between it's between the objects uh referred to by the words 
See, a word refers to an object. When I say pen, pen is a word, pada. And this is the padartha, the object. This object is, is the object referred to by the word pen. Similarly, when you say that and thou, you're referring to something. What is the relationship between those two things, that and thou? Um, so uh, usually they are related as adjective and noun, substance and property. We were given the example of blue lotus. Is it like that? You know, blue and lotus both refer to that same blue flower, but lotus is a flower and blue is a color. And the color is in the flower. I mean, um, so the substance and property relationship. Is it something like that? And we saw it couldn't be like that. We went through that entire process. So what's the meaning of the adjectival relationship? The Visheshana Visheshya Bhava for us um, is Anya Vyavartaka. This is the Sanskrit term for um, for distinguishing that reality from everything else. What do I mean by that? When you say blue lotus, one thing it does is the blue excludes all other kinds of lotuses. It's not a yellow lotus, not a white lotus, not a red lotus, it's a blue lotus. And when you say lotus, it excludes every other kind of blue object. It's not a um, blue sky, not a blue shirt or a, or a blue pen, it's just a blue, blue lotus. So you see the two words, how they mutually qualify each other. Um, when you have an adjectival relationship, they get together to exclude other possibilities and they point to that particular thing which you want to express. So blue lotus refers to that blue lotus only by excluding all other possibilities. Similarly, um, the adjectival relationship gives us an entity where that and thou, that Brahman and you, the individual, they mutually act together to restrict or to exclude all other possibilities. What does it mean? When it means when we are saying you are Brahman, we immediately exclude the possibility that you are body, mind, you know, the prana, any other possibility, the panchakoshas, no. You are Brahman, none of those things. You are not a material entity. The opposite is also true. When I say Brahman is you, you are Brahman and Brahman is you, like a blue lotus. Uh, it excludes every other possibility. What, when we, what we mean by Brahman is that sentience, that first person awareness, which, are, which you are feeling right now, that is Brahman. We are not talking about some God in heaven, some other entity, you know, Brahma, Vishnu, Kali, Durga, if it is something other than you, we're not talking about that. We're talking about you and you only. So it's a very radical identity. You are Brahman means you are nothing but Brahman and Brahman is nothing but you. Uh, so this is what we get from the second relationship. But immediately it lands us in uh, further trouble because the idea of what Brahman is, is God and what you are is an individual being. How can you be Brahman and how can Brahman be you? How can you be God and how can God be you? It doesn't work. In fact, the dualists are right when they say that it's impossible what the non-dualists are claiming that God and the individual are one reality. No, it cannot be. They are correct. It cannot be. It's contradictory. So the direct meaning cannot be taken. That literally you are God. It cannot be taken. So in these cases, what do we do? We go to the third stage, which is implied meaning. Lakshya Lakshana Sambandha an implied meaning. Whenever we find the, um, the simple direct meaning doesn't fit, literally when you say your God doesn't fit, then you have to take an implied meaning. And the implied meaning 
we saw there can be different kinds of implied meaning, different pro processes. One is the jahad lakshana, where you give up the original meaning and take an implied meaning. You know, the Gangayam Ghosha example, the, the neighborhood of the cowherds is on the Ganga. They can't be on the Ganga, it's a river. Uh, so they must be on the bank of the Ganga. You give up the original meaning of Ganga and take the bank of the Ganga. So does it work for Tattvamasi? No, it doesn't work. Because we don't want to give up the entire meaning of Tat. We don't want to give up the entire meaning of Thvam. What we want is that pure consciousness. We want to give up all the limitations of the Thvam. The body-mind limitations. But we don't want to give up that pure consciousness which you are. The Sakshi Chaitanya. That we don't want to give up. That's, that's what we want to point at in fact. So we can't take the method of implication which gives up the original meaning uh, of the words. Then the other, other method was uh, Ajahad Lakshana, where you make sense of a sentence by adding something to the meaning. You remember the example, Shona Dhavati, the brown one is running or the red is running, the brown is running. We add an extra word, horse, Ashwa. The red horse is running, by which we mean uh, that um, when you say red, you mean the red horse is running in a race or something like that. Can we add something to man to make man God? It doesn't work. It's ridiculous. As long as we remain individual, uh, human, we are all too fallible. We are all too prone to weakness and limitation and, um, you know, every human fallibility is there. Whatever you add to this, keeping the problem, it doesn't work. So that process also is given up and finally we end up with a process called jahad ajahad lakshana partially giving up the meaning and partially retaining the meaning or bhagatyaga lakshana meaning the same thing a partial giving up of the meaning or simply bhaga lakshana partial implication so what is this partial implication um, where these words are contradicting each other because of which they don't fit see a blue lotus fits very easily Blue is a color, lotus is a flower, and they can go very well together. Tall man goes very well together, but you can't say tall, short man. It doesn't fit. So what doesn't fit when you say tattvamasi? Uh, what doesn't fit is God is all powerful. We have so little power, doesn't fit. You have to give that up. Um, God is uh, uh, all pervading. We are limited pervasion, doesn't fit. You have to give that up. And, and so on. In this way, we come to that thing which is common to both, uh, which, which is consciousness itself. And therefore, we say that tattvamasi, we retain that consciousness part, existence, consciousness, bliss part, we retain it, and the limitations we ignore. Uh, the limitations imposed by maya in the case of tat and by avidya or ignorance in the case of tvam. How can you ignore how can you ignore limitations? You can ignore them because they are not real. You can ignore them because they are not real. What do you mean by that? A simple example will make it clear. Um, so I've given this example earlier. Two friends go and they mistake. You know, there's this, the classic thing about the snake and uh, the rope in the dark. And somebody sees a snake, another person sees a garland. And uh, it's of course not a snake, not a garland. It's a rope. But if you say, the garland is this, the snake. The garland is the snake. 
Now you have to, it, it's contradictory. A garland cannot be a snake. But what is meant is it's not a garland. It's not a snake. It's a rope. The underlying reality, it, it's, uh, it's a rope. Even in this sentence, this is a snake. This is a garland. Give up the garland and the snake because they are false. But there's one thing true there. This. There is something there. So that common underlying reality, if you take and let go of the differences, the differences between God and man, God and human are appearances. This is what distinguishes Advaita Vedanta from the other schools. The other schools insist God and human, that's the final reality. I was just thinking today, when this debate is there, when the dualists, the theists charge us, you know, that you're blasphemous, you are denying God, you're erasing the difference between the human and the divine. Actually, we are not. We're saying that all the differences that you talk about in all the theistic religions, the dualistic religions of the world, including Dvaita Vedanta, all the differences you talk about and hold on to, we agree to all of them. We just say that there is a deeper truth. There's something beyond that. We're not saying you're wrong. You're right. But there is something deeper than that. And at that, that deeper level of reality, the uh, underlying, that absolute, as Meister Eckhart put it, the ground of God and the ground of my soul are the same reality. Uh, so that the, the ground, the foundation, the foundational reality, call it the absolute, the infinite, there, there is no difference between God and human. Because there is no God is not God there, the human is not human there. It's just infinite existence, consciousness, please. So you reach there. What is the example for this? Sovayam Devadatta. This is that Devadatta. Um, and we, you remember the way we use this example? This is that Devadatta. That Devadatta I saw a long time ago. That Devadatta whom I'm seeing now. Long time ago and now I ignore. He was young then, now he's old. Old and young I ignore. All these characteristics I ignore. What I mean to say, and everybody understands so easily, is that it's the same person. Exactly like that. When we say Tattvamasi, we ignore that God is all-powerful, all-knowing, um, omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient, and we are Alpagya, um, Alpashaktiman. We have so little knowledge, so little power. We ignore that because these are creations of Maya. Uh, these are projections of Maya. It's like a dream like a movie and what is common to both what is the underlying reality because of which maya can make these illusions uh, the underlying reality is existence consciousness place or in the language used here akhandartha indivisible one indivisible reality one infinite reality without any difference another word is non-dual advaitam so this is uh, the process we went through. Three steps. Samanadikaranyam, um, one, having the same locus. Then um, the Visheshana Visheshya Bhava, the adjectival relationship. And then third, Lakshya Lakshana Bhava, the implied meaning. And then we come to the realization that there is one existence consciousness, bliss, which in our, um, you know, the experience, in our, the way we have transactions, appears as God, man, and the world, God, the human, and the world, all of this. All right. So this was, this is what we have gotten so far. Now, before I go on, 
what's going to happen next? Next, we are going to go on to another Mahavakya, the great, uh, the great sentence. Um, Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman. You might ask, so why are we going to go on to another Mahavakya? Isn't it the same meaning? You said they all mean the same thing, that you are Brahman. That is true. But I am Brahman. You know, they have made, made a sort of, um, for convenience, post-Shankar Advaitins have made a division. The four Mahavakyas. You know, there are four, four um, great sentences which are taken just as a matter of conventions. There are many Mahavakyas. How would you define a Mahavakya great sentence? The sentence which tells us the identity of Jiva and Brahman, the individual sentient being and the absolute. That's a Mahavakya. Now, um, um, or which talks about one indivisible reality, Akhandartha Bodhakam Vakyam Mahavakyam. So that's the definition. There are many such sentences in the Vedas. Uh, in the Upanishads, but four are taken. I repeated this number of times. Four are taken for convention, one from each of the Vedas. And for uh, ease, uh, just as a matter of convention, these uh, post-Shankara Dvaitins have classified these four Mahavakyas into four, four types. The first one from the Rig Veda, um, Pragyanam Brahma, Brahman is consciousness. Pragyanam Brahma, Brahman is consciousness. Uh, that is classified, that is termed as the Lakshana Vakyam, that is the definitional uh, Mahavakya. It defines what Brahman is. Brahman is consciousness. Then from the Sama Veda, you have Tattvamasi, that thou art. And that is called the Upadesha Vakya, the sentence of instruction, because the Guru tells that to the disciple. The teacher is telling us, you are Brahman. That's why it's called Upadesha Vakyam. These are not from Shankaracharya. It's later just for the uh, ease of teaching that these classifications have been made. Upadesha Vakyam. And then you have from the Brihadaranyaka Upanishad, Yajur Veda, Aham Brahmasmi. Aham Brahmasmi. I am Brahman. This is called Anubhava Vakya. This is what you realize or what I realize. When, I'll be, when we'll become enlightened, we realize I am Brahman. This will be my experience. Your experience won't be... You know, teacher tells you that thou art, and you, you will not say that thou art, then it will go back and forth all the time. Uh, the teacher tells you that thou art, and you will realize I am that. That will be our realization. That will be our enlightenment. So, Aham Brahmasmi is our enlightenment, our realization. That's why it's called Anubhava Vakyam. Anubhava Vakyam, the sentence of experience or realization. That's what you'll realize. And finally, um, in the Mandukya Upanishad from the Atharva Veda, there is one, uh, one Mahavakya. Ayam Atma Brahma. This very self is the absolute. This very self is Brahman. So this is called Anusandhana Vakya. This is the state of realization or enlightenment. So this is what you have arrived at. This tells you, this connects you to the highest reality. This tells you what the state of affairs is. This very self is Brahman. Anusandhana Vakya. Um, why did I say that? So, next, what we will discuss. Aham Brahmasmi. I am Brahman. So, why are we discussing that? Because the instruction has been given by the teacher. What did the teacher say? That thou art. And then we have now gone through this long process of trying to understand that thou art. Having understood this, we are expected to become enlightened. So, what will that enlightened be like? enlightenment be like? You know, Brahma Jnana, Atma Jnana, enlightenment is an English word. What is the corresponding word in uh, Vedanta? Brahma Jnana, knowledge of Brahman. Atma Jnana, the knowledge of the self. 
So what is it like? What happens exactly in enlightenment? And number of questions will come up there. You know, uh, questions like, um, what is the nature of enlightenment? And from that will come the question, what is the nature of knowledge according to Advaita Vedanta? So how is this knowledge of Brahman different from other kinds of knowledge, knowledge of a cup and a table and a chair? How is it different from knowledge of Brahman? And then related question will come up, is the mind, um, is it necessary for enlightenment or not? What is the role of the mind? Because there are statements in the Upanishad which seem contradictory. One Upanishad says that, aptabhyam. It's only by the mind that this has to be realized. And another Upanishad says, manute. What cannot be realized by the mind? Now, they seem to be contradictory. So how do you resolve these contradictions? Many questions will arise. So this knowledge which will arise, I am Brahman. So will it stay continuously? Or will that knowledge disappear and only Brahman will remain? These questions will arise. So these uh, discussions will be there. What is the role of the mind? In what sense the mind is necessary for enlightenment? In what sense it is not necessary for enlightenment? In what sense Brahman can be realized by the mind? And why do you say Brahman cannot be realized by the mind? All these things. And you see how they are related. Once you have this contradiction set up, one Upanishad says it can be realized by the mind alone. Another one says it cannot be realized by the mind. How do you harmonize these statements? From there, the bigger question arises, what after all is enlightenment? What is this knowledge of Brahman? From there, the even bigger question arises, what is knowledge? According to Advaita, bigger means wider question. So all these issues will now be discussed. Before we jump into it, it's very interesting. Many questions which we have had many weeks, months ago. I remember them all, you do not. Like Krishna says to Arjuna, we have had many births, oh Arjuna. You do not remember them, but I remember them all. So I remember you all asking, I, I remember some uh, questions which were asked. And at that time, I, I was waiting for this time to come so that we can answer those questions. Anyway, but before we go into it, uh, let's just stay with that thou art, Tattuamasi, for a while longer and reflect upon what we have got here. This that thou art, it to me, it um, sort of, sums up, encapsulates all of spirituality, all of religion. What is, first of all, you have to be clear, what is that and thou? And that's why, and we will realize why it was so important to go through that process of superimposition and desuperimposition. superimposition you know, we went through this long process for the last few months. So we realize what is the exact meaning of that? What is the exact meaning of thou? What is the exact meaning of that technically? According to this book, Maya Avachinna Chaitanya, Maya Upahita Chaitanya, consciousness limited by or associated with Maya. Or in simple words, God, Ishwara, Saguna Brahman, God. That's the meaning of that, the creator, preserver, and destroyer of the universe. And thou, what's the meaning of thou? Us. Technically, Agyana Upahita Chaitanya, same consciousness associated with or limited by ignorance. And what is this ignorance? This is just a part of Maya, a fraction of the power of Maya. So this is the meaning of Tao. Basically, God and the sentient being, the all-powerful God of religion, what theistic religions worship, and us sentient beings. Now, 
if you look at it all the religions will be either in the category of that oriented religions which are like that that inquiry based search for that and the self oriented religions which are the search for the self inquiry into the self inquiry into god inquiry into self the search after god god realization or the search after self self realization two kinds of religion are broadly speaking now all the theistic religions christianity islam judaism within hinduism you have a broad variety of you know shaktaism the worship of the divine mother shaivism shiva um, vaishnavism worship of vishnu or narayana all of these are and their avatars associated avatars you know rama and krishna we are all worshipers in hinduism of uh, some avatar or the other generally all of this falls under the category of that tat clearly the, the all of this whatever conception of god you have it falls under the um, under the umbrella of that oriented religion and the self inquiry based religion there are others which do not talk about god at all jainism buddhism buddhism is the biggest example within hinduism also sankhya yoga yoga immediately somebody might say yoga talks about god but you the god that yoga talks about is not the saguna brahman ishwara of vedanta it is a purusha vishesha technically speaking those who know uh, the yoga philosophy of patanjali so these are and also in yoga attaining that that god is not the goal of patanjali yoga uh, self realization uh, kaivalya is the goal of uh, patanjali yoga so these are the self inquiry based approaches and those are the god seeking approaches two kinds and uh, uh, the each has its advantage each, each has its disadvantage each has advantage and disadvantage what is the um, biggest disadvantage of the gods oriented religions this we are aware of the biggest disadvantage is the that oriented religions the god oriented religions they all entirely depend on faith on belief that oriented religion christianity islam um, judaism in fact that's the name in in america faith you see that's the name for religion in america faith and that's the weakness because they depend on belief if you do not believe for a long time long process if you do not believe won't work for you if at the very beginning you ask for proof you ask for a demonstration to begin with you know it won't work uh, you have to accept the teachings of the scriptures of the you know the masters and then it works so that it is based on faith if you do not believe then the thing will not work and it's a weakness because in today's age it's even more difficult if you listen to a few talks of richard dawkins and christopher hitchens and and who else is there sam harris daniel dennett uh, the strongest of faith will be shaken or even if it's not shaken it will be shown to be silly so that's the problem um of the god oriented religion that problem does not have uh, is not there in the um self inquiry based religions um because 
I exist, that is beyond any doubt. In fact, Descartes, his, his whole project of doubt, universal doubt, to set out to doubt everything, one thing he could not doubt was himself. Cogito or Gosum, I think, therefore I exist. In fact, Vedanta would say, I, I exist, therefore I think. But anyway, my own existence is indubitable. What is the nature of that existence can be debated. But I exist, nobody doubts. Notice, in all the God-centered religions, those who have studied religion, um, they, will not, they will know that in all the theistic religions, there's always an effort to prove the existence of God. Theologians through the ages have tried to demonstrate the existence of God. The very fact that they try to demonstrate the existence of God shows that there's a problem. It's not obvious that God exists. Um, so in, in the Nyaya philosophy, Udayan Acharya gives nine proofs of the existence of God in his, uh, um, in his uh, um, not Atmatattva, Nyaya Kusumanjali, the garland of logical arguments. Why was he giving that? Because he was faced with the Buddhist. The Buddhist was attacking uh, the Hindu schools by saying, there's no God. Where is this Ishwara you're talking about? What is the proof? And the Hindu dualists, like the Nyaya school, were trying to establish the existence of God. They're trying to establish existence of God and self, Atma and Ishwara. So, proofs of the existence of God. Um, in Christianity, Islam, Islam, there is the famous Kalam argument, cosmological argument for the existence of God. Uh, in Christianity, uh, Thomas Aquinas, for example, gives five proofs of the existence of God. Theologians, already before him, those proofs were in existence. So, arguments for the existence of God. There is the cosmological argument, argument from um, first cause, uh, the design theory, uh, all these arguments are there. And these arguments are heavily battered uh, in modern times, by the, especially by the advancement of science. Science, especially modern cosmology and evolution, the theory of evolution, has thrown into great doubt all those arguments for the existence of God. Whereas in the, you know, the self-inquiry-based religions, you never have an argument for uh, the existence of oneself. What is the nature? You might think that Buddhism argues against the existence of Atman. Yes, the existence of the Atman as propounded by the Nyaya, by Sheshika school, the, you know, like a separate entity existing apart from body and mind, but that we all have a sense of self. That nobody, it's undeniable. Even the Buddhist has a sense of self. What is the nature of the self? Is it a stream of momentary consciousness, as the Buddhist says, or is it a permanent entity called Atman, as the Hindu says? Though that can be debated. But that there is a sense of self, it's directly evident, no matter whoever gives you an argument, you don't need any argument to prove it, no argument can disprove it, because we are always accepting, we are always seeing our own experience as self. So no need to prove the existence of oneself, it is directly, that's why you see in this uh, Tattvamasi, one of the contradictions between Tat and Tvam, it was given in technical language, perhaps you did not notice, Paroksha, Paroksha Chaitanya. Um, tat is called Paroksha Chaitanya. It's a consciousness, but it, has, it is associated with Parokshatum. It's a distant, remote. We read about it, we believe about it, but we don't have direct experience of God. Uh, our own consciousness, Tuam, the individual, is directly experienced as the first person experience as the self, all the time, um, whatever be its nature, but it's directly experienced. 
So there is no need to prove your own existence. It's indubitable. It's it's certain. It's the certainty upon which all other kinds of certainty are based. Shankaracharya says, "Yaeva tasya nirakarta tasyeva atmasa." Whoever tries to deny the self, it is the self of that very denier. You, who is denying after all? You can't deny the denier. Uh, you can't negate the negator of the self. So the negator must be there. All right. Now, but what is the disadvantage of the self-inquiry-based approach, and what is the advantage of the God-based approach? The advantage of the the um, the disadvantage of the self-inquiry-based approach is. Yeah, fine. I understand that I exist. There is no doubt about it. But that's the problem. It's not a great thing. I exist. I am surrounded by a thousand problems. I exist, but I am subject to old age and coronavirus and disease and death. I am subject to financial problems. I am subject to frustration in the world and unhappiness in the world, dissatisfaction. A, a hundred and a thousand problems surround my yes, indubitable existence, incontrovertible existence, but. Surrounded by an ocean of problems, whereas God has no problems. God is infinite, omniscient, omnipotent, uh, all-pervading. What problem does God have if God exists? I exist, no doubt about it, but I'm surrounded by problems. Okay. Now, the nature of people who practice this is also the nature of uh, people who practice is also different. I have noticed that um, most spiritual seekers fall in either category. The young men who is to come as, to become monks in Belur Mat, sometimes you'd ask them, "Why have you become a monk? What are you looking for?" Cleanly, they fall into two categories. One category says, "I am searching for God. I want God realization." Another category says that I'm searching for self-realization. Who am I? That's my question. What am I? So one category says, "What am I?" is not very appealing to me. I sort of know what I am, and it's not a very interesting question. But does God exist? And this is the question Vivekananda went to Sri Ramakrishna with. Can you see God? Does God exist? Can God be experienced? And uh, who am I? Is I exist, but what exactly am I? So these two kinds of uh, seekers. And if you look at the practices, also they are also different. One kind. Uh, the god-oriented religions are usually devotional. You will see they are basically they are all bhakti-oriented religions, all of them. Faith, devotion, love, surrender, and the practices are also worship, and there will be a place of worship, a temple or a mosque or a church, and um, there's worship, there's ritual, there's music and food and and so many things associated with that's a ritualistic devotional. Religion, magnificent, very very nice. And the self-inquiry based religions, generally, you will see they are generally meditative, philosophical. Um, if you go to a Buddhist meditation hall, you will see like that. Or or a yogi, Patanjali yogi, is more interested in stuff, you know, like performing rituals. Is more interested in sitting in a lotus position and closing the eyes and looking inwards. So it is a meditative, philosophical approach in the self-inquiry based religions. Um, what else? You'll notice I have not said anything about Advaita so far. I have not put it in either camp. Advaita is actually the one which says both are the same. What you find at the end of your belief system, you'll ultimately, if you become enlightened that way, 
and what you find by self-inquiry, they are one and the same. This is go. This goes back to that adjectival relationship, the mutually excluding, excluding uh, action of both. What the genius of Advaita is this is worth thinking about. I'll put it out there, and you just think about it. Call to your recall to your mind the advantages and disadvantages of both paths. Now, what Advaita does is when it says you are nothing but Brahman and Brahman is nothing but you, what it does is it takes the advantages of both and combines them and excludes the disadvantages of both. What do I mean by that? It takes your the indubitable certainty, the perfect certainty of your own existence and, and the infinitude of God's existence and makes them one. What it does is, after all, think about this way, isn't, it, isn't this what we are doing? We are locating our own indubitable existence, one, step one. Step two, we're showing that existence to be infinite. I'll repeat again. I always say Advaita has two steps. The first step is to locate what exactly do I mean by I? Now, who am I? I'm the witness of the mind and the body. I'm the witness of the three, uh, three bodies, Causal body, subtle body, gross body. Stula, sukshma, karana, sharira, vilakshana, atma. I am the witness of the five sheets. Pancha, kosha, vilakshana, atma. This, this consciousness, this drik, uh, drashta. That consciousness, sakshi, chaitanya. Then the next step, what do I do? I prove that this very consciousness, which you are, is not limited by anything. All things which might limit it, as bodies, we are limited because clearly I am this body, I am not those bodies. As minds, we are limited. Clearly, I have some knowledge, I do not have some other knowledge. But as the underlying awareness, where is the limitation? Because all limitations are in that awareness. The awareness is not a spark of awareness in the midst of limitations. You are not a spark of consciousness in a vast material universe. Rather, you are the consciousness in which the material universe appears. You are that ocean of awareness in the universe appears, plays around and disappears like a wave in the language of Ashtavakra. Limitation means time limitation. Limitation means space limitation. But time and space appear in awareness. Is awareness in time and space or is time and space in awareness? Body is definitely in time and space. Thoughts in the mind and knowledge events are also definitely in, at least in time if not in space. But both time and space and everything that is in the, in the playground of Maya, they are all in awareness. It, that is the switch, the paradigm shift, which Advaita is trying to push us towards, nudge us towards. When you do that, you suddenly realize, first of all, because you are nothing but Brahman and Brahman is nothing but you. And we see that I am not the body, not the mind, I am the witness consciousness, one. This witness consciousness, not limited by time, is not born with the body, does not die with the body, does not age with the body, not subject to change and disease and death, is not limited in space, not limited in time. So this is the beauty of Advaita Vedanta. So this is the meaning of Tattva Masi, the general, you know, like a wider view of what's going on here, that thou art. Let me start the next part. The meaning of I am Brahman. So text number 170. Atha adhunaham brahmasmi iti anubhava vakyato vanyate. Now is being described 
the meaning of the sentence i am brahman expressive of intuitive experience atha next hence adhuna now aham brahmasmi i am brahman this is from the brihadaranyaka upanishad iti this um, or full stop you know anubhava vakyam the the sentence which expresses our enlightenment our realization varnyati this is going to be explained we're going to take a look at that why not to analyze it you know that thou art in that way that that's done you don't think that we're going to go through oh god again that samana adhikarnyam visheshana visheshya bhava lakshya lakshana bhava none of that that's gone now we're going to take a look it's very interesting what is enlightenment all those questions i i you know raised is how what is the role of the mind in enlightenment how is knowledge of brahman different from other kinds of knowledge and so on how is it even possible uh, so all those things we will see now um okay let me read just by the way when i say something like atha next or now actually aduna means now so atha means next hence so i sort of translated casually and go ahead but you know when you traditionally study vedanta these texts from a from a traditional teacher the way they do it is this way when you come across the word atha you stop the word atha has five meanings in the classical sanskrit dictionary amarkosha five meanings which one will fit here they'll consider those five meanings and then take the one which fits here and the one which fits here is next so what are the five meanings for it is not relevant to our discussion but just to give give you a taste when you say atha what does it mean it means um, mangala uh, auspiciousness that's one meaning um it means um, next anandaryartha next the meaning which has been taken here uh it means um it means uh, like um you know uh, in the sense of um beginning you're starting something so in the sense of beginning and then it means uh, in the sense of um uh, of a question another meaning is sense of completion katsni or purnata so these are various meanings i hope i'm getting that right you want to give you some wrong information mm. mangalanantar armya so big uh, so auspiciousness next in the sense of anantarya then in the sense of um beginning and uh, in the sense of completion yeah question and completion so and we see that in this case it is the sense of uh, next anantarya what happens next so in the brahma sutras for example you have a sutra athato brahma jigyasa hence therefore um, an inquiry into brahman the word atha is there what does it mean there also it means next after this and then the question will arise after what because the text itself starts with after this suppose you have a book which starts next you will be puzzled what do you mean next there's nothing before the book so shankaracharya says once you have got the qualifications the fourfold qualifications viveka vairagya and you're ready for a spiritual and now you're ready for spiritual life that's what is meant by next anyway now we will see i am brahman 
enlightenment at last brahma jnana atma jnana realization of brahman we are here we've done it uh, text number 171 evam acharyenadhyaropapavadapurasaram tattvam Paramananda Ananta Advayam Brahmasmi Iti Akhanda Karakarita Chitta Vritti Rudeti. When the teacher in this way clears the meaning of the words uh, that and thou by the removal of the superimpositions and makes the qualified student grasp the import of the sentence, thou art that which is absolute unity, there arises in his mind a state of absolute oneness in which he feels that he is Brahman. By nature, eternal, pure, self-illumined, free, real, supremely blissful, infinite, and one without a second. So you can see that they love long sentences. What does it mean? Evam. In this manner. In which manner? In the manner which we have studied so far. First of all, um, that thou art. The three steps we went underwent. And before that, you will say, the whole process of superimposition and desuperimposition we studied. So, evam in this way. Acharyena, by the teacher. So, clearly it indicates it's, it's, a, it's knowledge. It's not your uh, yoga teacher in the yoga studio. We give, put you through some physical exercises. Um, it's not your art teacher or music teacher. It's the teacher of Vedanta. It's a transmission of knowledge. Acharyena. He teaches us. How does he teach us? Purasaram. First, by teaching us superimposition and desuperimposition. What is superimposition, desuperimposition? Remember, just like the rope is mistaken for the snake, one reality is mistaken for this entire universe. What is the nature of that reality? Remember, we read about it. Vastu Madhvayam Brahma. The reality is. Uh, existence, consciousness, bliss, um, non-dual, Brahman. Brahman literally means the vast. That infinite existence, consciousness, bliss, non-dual, that is real, real. And it appears as this universe. We mistake that for this universe, just as a rope is mistaken for a snake. That's called superimposition. And what is the superimposition? When the Rope, the snake is seen to be the rope. You see that, oh, it's not a snake, it's a rope. It's not a universe which you're experiencing. It's Brahman, it's the absolute. Notice, therefore, uh, we are already experiencing it. We not, need to know it for what it really is, the truth here. So, Tattvam, uh, uh, and by this, what is attained by the superimposition, the superimposition, Tattvam Padartha Shodhana. The clarification, analysis of the terms that and thou. Because direct meaning of that is God, and direct meaning of thou is the individual. And you analyze them to be the underlying one consciousness with the help of superimposition, desuperimposition. It's revealed to you that it is one consciousness alone. Um, by the sentence, which sentence? The one which we studied all along, that thou art. Now arises the knowledge. 
of akhandartha akhandartha means one indivisible reality one infinite reality akhanda indivisible uh, this is infinite there is a technical meaning for that remember this is the, this goes back to the very invocation which we chant every time we start the book satchidanandam akhandam satchidanandam the first word we read in the book is akhandam indivisible and if you remember how we analyzed it there are different kinds of division or difference and that reality is devoid of any difference what are the kinds of difference sajatiya bijatiya swagata sajatiya bijatiya bijatiya means difference in kind so um, a cat is different from a tree a tree is different from a human being with different kinds of things um, is there anything different from consciousness normally you will see of course there is i am aware and there are so many things i am aware of which are different from me that's our ordinary understanding of consciousness that's what studied in consciousness studies no clearly we are not talking about that we are talking about the deeper nature of that consciousness where there is no nothing really apart from consciousness vijatya no nothing this is much easier to understand when you think about existence sat obviously there is nothing apart from existence nothing different from existence if it's different from existence what will it be non existent so it's it's a no brainer from consciousness we can always think of we think of consciousness as this consciousness this uh, which is mental uh, functioning thoughts feelings emotions ideas different from that of course there is the body there is the world uh, but when look at existence itself then it becomes clear there can be nothing different from existence if it is different from existence it is not then um, sajatya are there many different kinds of existences or consciousnesses or blisses <laughs> it would seem so but it actually isn't there are different kinds of existing things but existence itself is not of not of different kinds where is the difference between one existence and another water in all the waves the waves are of different sizes and activities and shapes and you know but the water in that is not limited by the waves it's the same water everywhere same existence everywhere there is no difference of kind in uh, uh, or difference uh, are there other existences no uh, are there many existences same existence but many of them we say the cat and tree are different but in among cats also there are many cats there are many trees are there many existences many brahmans many infinite realities no there is only one infinite reality now fine there is a third kind of difference is within that same uh, reality are there differences the internal differences yes i am one body but there is a difference between my arms and my leg and my tummy and my chest and my head different parts they are all different different functions they look different so different functions are there different names so similarly yes there is an absolute reality but within that absolute reality are there differences internal differences um, like vishishta advaita would say vishishta advaita would say that there is one reality brahman but brahman has internal differences jiva jagat there are differences internal to brahman it's a whole with parts advaita says no there are no internal differences also so this entity this reality without any external differences differences of the same type or differences within itself to put it in one phrase sajatiya vijatiya swagata bheda rahita akhandam indivisible um avabodhite when we realize this how do we realize by going through the process of analysis of that thou art 
Before this, we must have gone through the process of superimposition, desuperimposition. One realizes, I am Brahma, Aham Brahmasmi. I am Brahma. I am Brahman. And here he has inserted a escape clause, a fine print, like a good lawyer, Adhikarinaha, the qualified student, one who has got fourfold qualifications. Otherwise, what will happen? We'll claim, I've gone through it. I patiently waited through all these Vedanta Sara classes and uh, I have gone through superimposition and desuperimposition. I have gone through all those, uh, the three types of you know, stages of analyzing that thou art. So I should realize I am Brahman. I can even recite Aham Brahma Asmi. But no, I'm honest. I don't, I don't get it. it. It doesn't happen to me. So he has this escape clause. Ah, Adhikarina, you must be qualified Adhikari. Um, so the guru can say that you, are, you have not reached that level of qualification yet, so it's not working yet for you. What is the realization? Aham Brahmasmi, I am Brahman. Um, what kind of realization is this? Aham Nityamasmi, Nityamasmi. I am eternal. Check within yourself. Do you honestly feel that you are eternal? Or do you feel? So we are in a kind of a twilight, you know. Once you have read this, and if you really seriously thought about it, you begin to see what they mean. You say, yeah, in a certain sense, I, it's quite possible that I am, I am eternal because if I am this consciousness and I, I begin to see what they mean, I must be eternal. But it's not a living reality for me, like a blazing forth um, directly. Like I feel I am this body-mind. It does not come to me like that. When it comes to you like that, I am eternal. It will come, it will be obvious. Shuddha. I am pure consciousness beyond the touch of karma, papa punya, you know beyond good karma and bad karma. Buddha, consciousness. Buddha means Swaprakasha, ever effulgent. I'm ever revealed. My own existence is indubitable, ever shining forth. Uh, Mukta, ever free. Sarva Upadi Rahita. That even when the, there is that glass thing. I've shown you one. Um, glass thing you know but uh, so this one appears to be orange when i put the or yellow when i put the yellow cloth behind it because i'm consciousness and um, the body appears in it i feel like i am a body yes i'm consciousness but a body just like it looks like a, um, a yellow piece of uh, glass a yellow paperweight it's not a yellow paperweight even when the yellow color is there it looks yellow it's actually free of the yellow yeah. it's not it has not become yellow at all Similarly, uh, I am not the body, not the mind, and so on. Upadhi Rahita. Then Buddha Mukta. Then what else is the thing? Uh, satya. Satya means Trikala Bhadi Tattyam Satyatvam. I am not negatable, falsifiable in the three periods of time, past, present, future, at no time can my own existence be negated. I am absolutely real in that sense. Nothing else is. Um, satya Swabhava of, of this nature. Paramananda. I am completely fulfilled. I do not seek fulfillment anywhere else. Because I am in infinite. Anantam. Um, unlimited. Infinite. So remember the nature of limitation. What is limitation? Desha Kala Vastu Paricheda. Limitation in space. I am here and not there. 
But that is not true of me. As consciousness, as existence, both here and there are within me or they appear in me. If they don't appear in me, they're outside me, they don't, don't exist because I am existence. And then, uh, um, so I'm not limited in time also. What is limitation in time? Before this, I did not exist. After that, I will not exist. And I exist only in this between the, my birth and death. That's true of the body. That's true of thoughts. But it's not true of me, existence itself, consciousness itself. Time appears and plays around in me. I am not in time. And time is also, when it appears in me, it's an appearance. It's not real. So I'm not limited by time. Vastu paricheva. I am one thing and not the other thing. I am this person, Sarva Priyananda, and not the other 66 people in this meeting. That's Vastu Paricheda. As Sarva Priyananda, I'm different from me. This uh, is a book, and this is a pen. A pen is not a book. A pen is only a pen. It's not anything else. The billions of other entities in the universe, it's different from all of them, including other pens. Similarly, this book is different from all other entities in the universe. It is only this book. This is a kind of limitation. It's, it's this and nothing else. Whereas uh, ananta, infinite is that uh, which is not different, that from which nothing is different. How can that be? Because your existence, what can be different from you? If something is different from you, what will happen to that poor thing? It will become non-existent. Different from existence is non-existent. So uh, all things are you. Um, but you are free of all of them. Advayam, non-dual, because there is nothing different from you. So there is no second thing different from you. No second, not two. Not two, non-dual. In Sanskrit, Advaitam. That Brahman I am. So what it means is, Aham Nitya Brahmasmi. I am this eternal Brahman. Aham Shuddha Brahmasmi. I am this pure Brahman, ever free of karma. Aham Buddha Brahmasmi. I am this ever effulgent. Self-revealing, shining Brahman. Aham uh, Mukta Brahmasmi. I'm the ever-free Brahman. I'm Satya Brahmasmi. Satya Sobhava Brahmasmi. Aham Paramananda Brahmasmi. I'm the Brahman of nature of all fulfillment. Aham Ananta Brahmasmi. I'm the infinite Brahman. Aham Advayam Brahmasmi. I'm the non-dual Brahman. This will be the realization. Ittyakara Karita, Akhandakara Karita, Chitta Vritti Udeti. What is the nature of illumination? Chitta vritti. It is a, a realization in the mind. Chitta vritti means a movement in the mind. Where have you come across this term earlier? Chitta vritti. Yoga, chitta vritti, nirodaha. What is yoga? Yoga is the cessation of all the modifications of the mind, samadhi. Chitta vritti means every modification of the mind. Here, chitta does not mean um, manobuddhi, chitta, hankara. That is memory. Here, it means Anything which is, it is mana, buddhi, chitta, ahankara, all of it is vritti, chitta vritti. Any movement of the mind, whatever you think of, remember, desire, feel, perceive, every movement in the mind is a chitta vritti. Um, so this brahmakara vritti is also chitta vritti. Enlightenment arises in the mind. This will lead to a question immediately. And what is then, what kind of enlightenment is it? Uh, why do you say that it's beyond the mind? In what sense is it within, within the mind? What sense not in the mind? That all that will come very clearly later on. But for the time being, this will lead to a chitta vritti. This chitta vritti, um, 
what nature akhandakarakarita of the form of the indivisible reality what do you mean by that every chittavritti has a form so when you know a book what happens book akaravritti comes in your mind of avritti a modification of the mind a movement in the mind basically a perception in the mind of the form of the book arises in the mind basically you're thinking about the mind what's happening light is reflected from the book it goes to your eyes of course here through a very complicated process of going through the camera and the computer and the internet and reconstituted again in your screen and then passes as light to your eyes and then through the optic nerves races to the brain and from there somehow nobody knows how nobody has a clue how it goes to the mind what we call the mind and in the mind a perception a vritti chitta vritti arises chitta vritti is nothing other than mind it's not a book remember a book does not arise in your mind it's a thought about a book it's a thought whose content is a book content means it's about a book not that in the thought there is actually a book thought is just a thought and that thought is about a book chitta vritti now that is called book akara vritti if you see your pot a ghata then the vritti in your mind will be ghata akara vritti if you hear my like you're hearing my voice in your mind there will be shabda akara vritti is a movement the uh, modification of the mind in the form of my words that's how you see hear smell taste uh, um that's how you you remember and desire and uh, all of those things understand every movement of the mind is chitta vritti and every vritti has an akara form and the form is of the object of the what whatever you're thinking about that is the form okay what are we thinking about here we're thinking about brahman how are we thinking about brahman by this entire process of tattva masi and all the superimposition the superimposition see how does it work just a couple of words and and a couple of sentences and i'll end here how does it work these vrittis are raised by pramana by sources of knowledge by seeing something chakshu uh, eyes it raises a pratyaksha pramana a chakshusha pratyaksha that means a visual vritti in the mind i see a form you hear something you hear an auditory there's an auditory vritti in the mind about some sound so what is the pramana here eyes and ears and so on sometimes you do an inference a scientific process of inference and it um, raises that kind of an understanding in the mind a scientific understanding in the mind inferential understanding so mind plus eyes gives you a vritti um, about a form mind plus your ears gives you a vritti about a sound mind plus in scientific inferential process gives you an understanding inferential understanding about some scientific you know fact mind plus what will give you a vritti about brahman mind plus what you are the mind the mind plus what will give you a vritti a thought and you know like a movement in the mind and understanding about brahman mind plus tattva masi the vedantic teaching um, very precisely that dao art but in general mind plus the pramana here is vedanta the source of knowledge here is just as mind plus eyes gives you a vritti about this thing you are seeing this thing now in my hand and you look at it your eyes will give you the vritti in the mind you study vedanta so vedanta is the pramana what kind of pramana is it it is one of the six pramanas accepted pramana means source of knowledge six pramanas accepted by advaita 
uh, it is called shruti pramana and that raises a vritti in the mind just as when you see this it will be book akar vritti as a, a vritti in the form of a book in your mind when you study vedanta in the way we have done so far it will raise a vritti in the form of brahman for you here form does not mean physical form form here many things don't have physical form an understanding about science or mathematics doesn't have a physical form here its form just means your ignorance about brahman this subject is removed um, and there's a lot of discussion about this how can brahman which has no form what will be the form of um, that vritti a form of the book akar vritti we have an understanding what it means but what about brahman what form does it have what will be the nature of that vritti so the discussion finally culminates with madhusudan saraswati he says form of the vritti simply means the capacity to r- remove the ignorance about that object that is the form of the vritti um, he uses navya nyaya language um, tad avachinna chaitanya nishtha agyana nivartana yogyatvam <laughs> literally means um, the capacity to remove ignorance about the object delimiting underlying consciousness that's the phrase but just the form means we study about vedanta we study about brahman how i am brahman and we come to an understanding oh this is what is meant this is all and it will what will it do so it's very carefully phrased it it will not show you brahman so that's already there you are already there it will not illumine it cannot illumine brahman it's impossible for the mind to actually illumine brahman but it will remove ignorance about brahman okay that is the meaning of brahmakara vritti uh, so this is the first thing that happens when illumination takes place we'll stop here and now let's quickly take a look a lot of activity in the chat does this analysis also help equate atman is called brahman yes yes this is the actual meaning of tattvamasi atman and brahman are the same thing and that's how what we realize agirish says is it fair to say that as in advaita both kant and hegel believe that we perceive only virtual reality they stopped short of equating that the thing in itself or spirit with thou correct i mentioned somewhere recently you know that kant's beautiful saying the two things fill us with wonder the starry heavens above and the moral law within the heart of man two things fill us with wonder basically if you put it in this technical terms of vedanta what he is talking about is tat and tvam tat is the reality of the cosmos tvam is the reality within us and the two places where kant fails he says that that ultimate reality cannot be known the reality of the cosmos cannot be known and the reality within us also cannot be known vedanta says it can be known not only that's one second vedanta says both are the same thing ultimately pranam maharaj when we say like we learn all this and um could be because of the impurity of the mind that it doesn't come automatic so a life of always vichara where will that take us hmm 
because it doesn't come easily or automatically the only thing you can do is repeat this process of shravana manga um, manana and niridhyasana this is the path of vichara of inquiry and at one point what will happen is it will fall into place and that akhandakara vritti will arise it has to arise only once for one instant then it becomes absolutely clear because the reality is always there it will be revealed to you um, let me just mention here one of the issues which arises here is um, eyes can show us something ears can give us the information you know the sound what we are talking about we can just hear music speech eyes can show us what's going on can words like that thou art reveal knowledge directly words we understand words can give us knowledge but that's verbal knowledge that's information can it give us direct knowledge aparoksha gyana we know senses can give us what is called pratyaksha gyana that means perceptual knowledge that's pretty direct we see we hear we smell we taste that's the most direct kind of experience we can have mind gives us even more direct knowledge that is uh, pain pleasure you know what we directly experience within ourselves the most intense kind of experience is in the mind actually all experience ultimately is in the mind the mind doesn't function no experience is possible but can words give us knowledge it can kunti putra ha no 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 what did you say kunti putra like when uh, yes like our... that but even more directly dashamastvamasi 10 thou art the 10th when what what the words are talking about is directly immediately present to you then the words can give you knowledge direct knowledge uh, otherwise when say, the words talk about say something that is not directly um, present to you di- immediately present to you it talks about say what's going on in the depth of the pacific ocean now that is just be verbal knowledge you're told something by your professor but if it's something like thou art the 10th the effect of that knowledge will be to realize oh the 10th person is i and no further knowledge is required i immediately realize because i am always present to myself so what tatvamasi is referring to is you yourself not a second thing apart from you it just removes the ignorance about yourself that thing which clouds us and makes us feel i am a limited being that's ignorance that limits us within the the thing of uh, the limitation upadhi of the dao the jiva the sentient being so that's the limitation that's what it directly it removes and you have to keep doing that vichara till that brahmakara vritti arises all these texts help us in that all the upanishads will be reading after this will keep on it's just repeating this process all right shravani thank you Uh, pranam maharaj in the analysis in the, the last one uh, the implied meaning uh, when we were analyzing we were removing you say the, the contradiction which is maya and uh, uh, avidya agyana mind yes, now are they really contradictory are they really different because uh, earlier we uh, heard, we read about uh, that maya has a cosmic aspect and an individual aspect yes. mind a cosmic mind and a cosmic body now they the, is so is the contradiction in size or what is it Where yes is contradiction in size in power in excellence um, it's just like if you say i am einstein take a to take a very small example it seems contradictory 
Einstein was before my time. Einstein was super intelligent. I am after Einstein's time. I'm not as intelligent as Einstein. Einstein was a great scientist. I'm not at all a great scientist. These are contradictory, clearly, obviously contra contradictory facts. Similarly, to say I am God is obviously contradictory. But intrinsically, they're the same. Uh, Maya and uh... intrinsically, they are the same. Intrinsically, how are they same? Intrinsically, they are the same as Brahman, not as Maya. See, if you say as Maya. Both the totality of the totality of Maya and the part of Maya cannot be the same. Okay. Mm -hmm. uh, because in Maya and uh, uh, Avidya, as you are saying, cosmic body, individual body. But how can cosmic? How can the whole body be the same as one cell? Yeah, they are both bodies and they are parts of the same reality. True, but one cell is tiny and the whole body is extraordinary, is enormously larger. So the whole cosmic body and one individual body whole cosmic mind and one individual mind and the cosmic causal body maya and one individual cosmic uh, the causal body the avidya or anandamaya kosha they're hugely different so in a underlying them, sense they are different in a material sense they're different. in a material sense they're different there are, there are massive differences but they're not real that's why they can be safely ignored and, and the reality ignorance, under... uh, when I say intrinsically, I meant ignorance. As ignorance, they are both are ignorance. Little ignorance, big ignorance. Yes. I wanted to show you something that uh, Shekhar shared with me, which is a perfect for uh, what is called Avachedavada. Yes. Now, you see the sky outside. There's a vast blue sky outside. And there's a big window. And inside of it, there are, there's a small hole, another one down here, a small hole here. Small hole in the wall and one big, nice window in the wall. Outside, there's the vast sky. The big window gives you a nice view of the vast sky. And the small hole gives you a much smaller view of limited view of the vast sky. Now, this small <laughs> hole is the thumb, and this big window is the tat. This big window the sky streaming through the big window is God, Saguna Brahman. The sky streaming through the, or shining through the small uh, hole is Tvam, the individual being. But the sky in itself is the Nirguna Brahman. With sky, it's, it, if you ask the sky, so why are you big in God? Why are you small in the individual being? The sky will ask, what God, what individual being? Why are you like square and large and nice and shiny in the window? Why are you so small and round in the uh, hole? The sky will ask, what hole, what window? I'm the sky, the unlimited sky. What Vedanta is telling you is, what you are seeing in this window and what you are seeing in yourself, that little hole, it's the same reality. The window and the hole do not matter. See, the interesting thing is the hole and the window do not do anything to that sky. As long as you identify yourself with the window or the hole, you are a limited being, but you are being told you are not the whole. Is it, and then we immediately say, you're being told that you're not the body. We immediately say, yeah, yeah, but I'm the person, the awareness in the body. So we'll say, we're saying that I'm this little circular sky in the whole. No, if you look at the nature of the sky, it is never a little circular sky. It is an unlimited vast sky. The moment you realize that by Drigdrishya Viveka, by Panchakosha Viveka, Avastatraya Viveka, everything takes you to that. So you have to concentrate, first of all, here in the whole itself. Because that's, why, that's our experience. Here we are in this place. And this is that God whose help we take. But both are actually the same thing. God is also not a window. We are also not a whole.
we are the vast blue sky and god is also the vast blue sky but then the window is lost and the hole is also lost right and, and the whole exists of uh, god i mean the whole exists in the window i mean if we take the analogy yeah right if you take the analogy to further what is this hole it's nothing other than a part of the of the window itself actually the example often used is the window itself and the squares panes the glass panes you see here mm-hmm. each pane is an, like an individual being like us it's much smaller and much less impressive than the whole window but suppose there are millions of such panes billions of such little glass panes in the window and everything everyone thinks of itself as a separate little window and the whole window is so magnificent but both are absolutely mistaken beyond both is an unlimited vastness which is the only reality here window and glass pane hole all these are separate for the example but in consciousness there is no separation there is nothing apart from the vast blue sky yeah so this is a good uh, example and it's actually used in uh, one theory called avachchedavada in uh, uh, vedanta if you remember in not in such a good example but a more clumsy example uh, sadananda yogindra tried to give us this example in the example of the the sky and the forest and the trees again and again he mentioned and the pratibimbavada example he tried to give us an example of the lake and the drops of water and the sky reflected in the lake and the sky itself they're a little more complicated those examples but it's basically this same thing always identify yourself not with the whole not even with the um, little um, sky seen in the whole that is called the reflected consciousness but the sky itself without any reference to the whole and then you can shine through that hole for as long as the hole remains or the little pane of glass remains that means this body and mind you are always remaining aware that you are the infinite and the existence um, non uh, eventual disappearance of that hole or the glass makes no difference to you the sky you are always what you always were perfectly free of any problems all problems are with the little hole mm-hmm. <laughs> very good and the understanding uh, matures into realization through shravana manana repeated is that what you just said yes this will come through repeated shravana manana nididhyasana stick with the class and we'll do wonderful things together <laughs> om shante 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 hari om tat sat shri ram krishna arpanamastu